The National Council on Gender-Based Violence is an organization or a body of state that is being put together in Parliament. The National Assembly had passed the bill. It's now um, before the National Council of Province for concurrence. What does it do? It establishes this council that will exist of, I guess, executive management as well as a board. And they'll do a number of things, one of which is coordinate policies, uh, distribute and assign resources, um, and come up with a national plan, a national action plan. Uh, the national action plan will obviously be a consultative process, at least we hope so. Uh, the board will be predominantly made up by members of the civil society. So we can at least hope through that effort that it's a consultative body. But is it enough? Is it enough to make sure that all government entities collectively in orchestration are dealing with gender-based violence. Joining me for this conversation is Nesli Sharif, a member of parliament, the DA spokesperson on women, youth, people, and people with disabilities. Nesli, you guys didn't quite like much of this bill uh, as a democratic alliance. You said it's not going far enough. How far is far enough? Hi, Oliver. Oh, Nesli, so we're going to have to stop you. We're going to have to stop you right there and see if we can get you in a different line. Uh, that doesn't sound great at all. Uh, not very audible. Uh, yeah, let's see if we can get Nesli perhaps on a more secure internet line uh, and hear her much clearer over there. I'm taking your reactions to this conversation as well. 0614-104-107 is our WhatsApp line where you can send us a WhatsApp voice note. Keep the WhatsApp voice notes under a minute um, so that we are able to get through as many of them as possible and give us a call on 086-000-2032. Nesli, can we try that again? Hi, Oliver. Can, uh, can oh, you hear me? Much, 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 much clearer. Go ahead. Yeah. Yay. Yay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so thank you for having me on your show, first of all, and good evening to your listeners. Um, yeah, so today we had the National Council on Gender-Based Violence and Genocide Bill um, go through Parliament. And as the Democratic Alliance, we did support the bill. Um, and in fact, as the DA, we have been advocating for the National Strategic Plan to be implemented and one part of the National Strategic Plan is the establishment of the National Council on Gender-Based Violence and Femicide. Now, the bill has gone through the entire parliamentary process, and part of that process is coming to the Portfolio Committee on Women, Youth, and Persons with Disabilities, mm. where we deliberate on the bill. And we had many public submissions onto the bill, and the bill that was read today essentially is the product of the work we did in the portfolio committee. So when you ask the question, how far enough is enough? I think that's a complex question because gender-based violence and femicide is an issue that cuts across whole of society. Yeah. So it affects all types of people. It affects um, anybody from, no matter what background you come from, the patriarchy affects women and members of the LGBT consistently within South Africa. So the idea of the National Council on GDVS is to have a body that coordinates the governmental approach to fight against GDVS. And honestly, from my perspective, I think it's important to have something that can coordinate government's response and be held accountable mm. for making sure that the work is being done. So if you look at aspects of the bill, um, it, the bill basically looks at how the board needs to be Constituted, constituted um, what the terms of reference is, how membership, um, disqualification of board, reporting lines, 
um, giving the minister the ability to make regulations, looking at the appointment of the CEO and the secretariat. So the bill is 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 more of like it 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 it, it places the national council more as a statutory body than as a service delivery body. Yeah. However, the National Council does have, um, you know, unlike other statutory bodies that are more regulatory in its function, this does have an aspect of service delivery in that it makes decision about resource allocation. No, no, it it, it won't have any service delivery um, aspects to it. When it comes to the allocation of resources, the Portfolio Committee felt that to safeguard from abuses, that it, it, it's not going to be legislated. Um, just like, for example, with the split between civil society and government, um, the decision at the end of the day was to have 50% government um, and not civil society. And these are some of the issues. Um, so what do you mean it would, the, the allocation or at least function of a resource will not be uh, legislated? No, it, it's because it's not a service delivery body. Yeah, so so it can't, it's not going to be providing any services. It's a statutory body used for coordination, um, monitoring, evaluation, um, implementation and regulations of GBVF. Yeah. It then says when here that it's... at the board, right? It then says the here... Board, the, day-to-day, the day-to-day workings of it would be by the Secretariat. It says here in the functions of the council that it will be responsible for the administration of funds appropriated by an act of parliament and furthermore that sources uh, administer administer funding from sources other than the appropriately, uh, that appropriated by uh, act of parliament. That means it can fundraise. Through donations, through fundraising. Yeah. What will it do with that money? For the function of the council. Right. So not not for the allocation of, of, of... So for example... Yeah, so for example, if, if the council says that one of their programs, because remember, if you're going to function like any other sort of entity, so if it says, okay, we want to do outreach programs where we go and we educate or yeah. advocacy or sort of consultation or, you know, that sort of function. Yeah. So, so the language is still a little bit unclear for me. Again, I'm going to go back to point five one b right, uh, of the functions of the council. And it says here that in order to achieve the purpose of this act, the council must ensure that resources are adequately, uh, equitably, my apologies, distributed for a comprehensive response to a gender-based violence and femicide. What does it mean here by the equitable distribution of resources for a comprehensive response? What resources? So, I mean, for any government department or government entity, you need resources in order to function, right? So the equitable spread is what all government entities use to determine how the budget will be allocated every year Okay. within the financial year. So say, for example, I don't know, maybe we look at this, the Commission for Gender Equality. They get an appropriate amount, which they use. And then you look at the National Youth Development Agency. They also get an appropriate amount, but they also fundraise and they get donor funding. And what they do with the money essentially is to budget their programs and to implement the National Strategic Plan and any other legislation that deals with gender-based violence and femicide. Yeah. Give us a call. I'm taking your reactions yeah. to the 0614 To this now, uh, Nasli, the, the development and the implementation of a National Strategic Plan 
is going to be one of the core functions of, of, of the council. We assume it's going to be doing it through a consultative process, um, and at least we hope so. But it, 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 it takes planning and um, at least strategizing and planning out of the hands of politicians, um, and it places it in the hands of, I guess, people who are experts in the field. That's likely what the civil society makeup thereof would be, and hopefully you have a secretariat then a, a CEO that are, uh, you know, functionally uh, qualified for this, uh, or at least functionally experienced for this, um, and it, it, it places it in the hands of, of, of them. Um, is, is, is there a better way of going about doing the business of the state, which is to keep women and children safe? Well, I really hope so. Um, and I say this with, with caution, because as we know, our government likes to have control over most entities, and that's why we see such an increase in care deployment. Um, it's essentially ensuring that the control of government entities and departments are, you know, kept within um, a few circles. So that would essentially be the hope. And that was the hope of the vision of the council, that it will be 50%, 51% civil society, and then, you know, 49% government. But the, 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 the portfolio committee argued against it, um, and it was a battle that, that, that we didn't end up winning. And what this means then is that we've increased the amount of committee members to 15. So now you, with the inclusion of basic education and the National Prosecuting Authority, and unfortunately members of the committee felt that government needs to be in majority because it's government that has to lead the approach. Whereas I am also of the view that we need to give it to experts because experts know what they're doing and they are on the field and uh, they understand what the problem is, therefore they understand what the solution needs to be. Yeah. So I'm really hoping that we have a strong civil society on the board um, that will go through a parliamentary interview process. It will be um, advertised. Um, it, I mean, you have to go through the process. So if there's any listeners out there that you know feel that they have the passion and they have the, the, the ability to stand on the board, they must look out for the... For, for, for the advertisement and apply um, because we need people who work on the ground. We need people who understand the issue so that something can actually be done. Give us a call, 86 um, Are you a member of the public, part of a civil society organization that think your presence on the board may be functionally good for this? Um, to this now, and, and, and this is a corporative governance question, uh, Nasli, part of the reason about why the combat against gender-based violence and femicide has been exacerbated or at least left unabated has been because there's been very poor coordination between the police on the one hand and the judiciary on the other hand. And in this instance, we're talking about specialized courts, not enough specialized courts, not enough resources and judges um, and courts personnel trained to work in specialized courts dealing specifically with rape cases, gender-based violence cases. That has been a criticism so civil society has leveled against uh, the Department and Minister of Justice for quite a while, for the last 
decade or so in this country. And on the other hand, national police also has a personnel problem, not enough, firstly, and secondly, not enough trained very specifically um, in, 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 in dealing with gender-based violence cases. This is why, for instance, reporting rates in South Africa are still estimated to be significantly low because of the pernicious re retribution that they face when they go to a police station, for instance, to report rape or gender-based violence or whatever the case may be. Uh, that coordination has been difficult to do even at a state level where these people are sitting on the same cabinet, sitting in the same interministerial committee, sitting in the same task teams. Mm -hmm. uh, do you expect a unpolitically empowered statutory body, albeit constitutionally powered, unpolitically powered, to be able to bring that level of coordination? Yeah, so, I mean, one of the criticisms that uh, the DA has on this bill is that it, the department missed a golden opportunity to give the council power to hold government departments accountable um, and so when, for example, the SAPS dropped the ball, we have a council that's on the ground that picks up issues and that works on solutions immediately. And the problem that we have in our country is that because we have a lack of capacity, we have a lack of resources, our state entities like SAPS, like the NPA, like social development, like health, like education, and I keep naming them, ESCOM, um, it's falling apart because there is not enough budget resources, but more importantly, there's not capable people in these institutions because of COVID deployment, and we are seeing state institutions fail. So one of the things the DA fought for in this bill was that the board must go through the parliamentary process, and the parliamentary process includes having to go through interviews to the, to the Portfolio Committee of Women, Youth, and Persons with Disabilities, which is comprised of multi -parties, multiple parties. So you have the ANC, the BA, the IFP, the yeah. Freedom Front Lines, the ACDP, everybody sitting in a room and interviewing candidates and choosing the best candidates based on talent, skills, experience, performance. And hopefully that will make a difference in the governance of the board. And, and as a DA, we're hoping that that would be some sort of stopgap to make sure that we have good people. Another DA win that, that we are very proud of in this bill is that we managed to, to, to get the, the council to report directly to parliament so that there's accountability, there's, there's monitoring and evaluation. You know, there's a consistent eye on what, the board, on the, what the council and what the board is doing. And I think when you have a strong opposition and you have you know, people in committees really asking the right questions, we, we can, we have the ability to hold them accountable and hopefully get them to actually do the work that they need to do. This yeah. is democracy in action. Yeah. Uh, the bill at the moment is not very clear about where the power lies for the appointment specifically of the chairperson of the board. Is that decided amongst the board members or does the minister decide that? So... How we sort of try to mirror it would be on the NYDA and the Commission for Gender Equality. And the process is that a Parliament will nominate a board um, with a consideration of to could this could be this could be a a um, a potential chairperson. And when we do the CG and the NYDA, we do it directly to the president. Um, and so we, we copied, we basically mirrored um, that 
that process because that process is a little bit more fair. And we saw with the Commission for Gender Equality, we now have a board, um, I'm sorry, commissioners um, from all across the country, from all different backgrounds, without political affiliations for most of them, let me put it that way, that is working because of their talent and their experience and what they bring to serve the country. So effectively, the board decides on its own chairperson? No, so we as the portfolio committee will give considerations, would be like we would consider this person. Um, and for the CGE, essentially, the president would then decide, okay, this would be the chief president. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and to, to, to the extent that the president has that kind of decision making, of course, with the uh, recommendation of the uh, committee, um, is, is it because there are two types of board members here, right? There are the board members, seven of them, which will come through the, uh, uh, you know, interview process that will happen before the portfolio committee. Then there are six other board uh, positions that's entirely to the discretion of the respective ministers, right? The committee will have absolutely no influence over there. Over, um, you ask the minister of justice, hey, who's going to be your designated person here? And the minister of justice has to choose a DDG somewhere, um, and that person will become the board member. Um, and 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 to the extent that uh, the EF two types of board members here. What is the feeling of the committee? What is the spirit uh, of, of the bill as far as from which kind of board designation should the chairperson come from? Mm. I mean, you know, that's, I, I, I don't think that's for, for, for me to, to sort of decide in the bill what the committee decided on is that we don't want any sort of person coming from government side to have any lower ranking than DG, you know, so we want senior officials to sit on decision makers, essentially, yeah. to sit on the board, not sort of junior staff that can't make a decision. Uh, because remember, these board members have voting rights and they need to make decisions. So you need senior people or people in these positions to do that. So in the committee conversations were had around if you're going to have, for example, a chairperson from government, you must have a deputy chairperson from, from, from civil society slash public sector. If you're going to have a chairperson from civil society slash public sector, you need to have a government deputy chairperson. Yeah. Uh, does the yeah. does the council have to present its national action plan to the committee for approval or uh, does it simply uh, present its national action plan to the, to the uh, portfolio committee just to inform you guys? No, 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 no. So how we set up the bill is that the reporting lines is to the min so so to the minister via parliament, if that makes sense. So for example, when they do their annual plan, their annual performance plan or their strategic plans, they'll do their strategic plans, they'll come and present it to they'll they'll submit it, they'll table it to the minister and then it will be presented in Parliament. And oftentimes the role of a portfolio committee is to hold government entities and departments accountable. So they'll come to us and they'll be like, okay, these are the key performance indicators that we want to run. These are the programs that will go with the key performance indicators. And this is how much we are budgeting for these programs. And then the committee will go through it and the committee will be like, you know what, actually, mm, I don't think that we, we don't think that this, maybe you need to look at it this way. And right. So you know, you're talking there about the strategic plan and that's, that's for the functioning of the, of the, of the council. But I'm talking here about yeah. it's mandated uh, uh, objective as a statutory body to, to put together a national action plan. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the national strategic plan already exists, right? 
the National Strategic Plan was a consultative document that comes from the... To be clear, when, when we say National Strategic Plan and National Action, Action Plan, because the language of the bill is National Action Plan, are we talking yeah. about the same thing? So when we when so so this is a debate we had in the committee. When you speak about national action plan, it incorporates all other legislation, okay. not just national strategic plan. So you you know the law, the state law advises advise that you don't want to limit it to okay. just the national strategic plan, but you want to open it for any other possible policies, um, uh, plans sort of, you know, sure. things that you can incorporate. So the National Strategic Plan is the first one. The first one. Right. Because the National Strategic Plan comes from the gender summit that we've had in 2020 and then last year again. Right. And this is where all civil organizations come together to produce this piece of content. Yeah. But will the Portfolio Committee or Parliament have any power to declare the plan or the uh, whether strategic or action to declare it as insufficient or ineffective or um, misaligned, uh, or do you merely have advise? Do you merely play an advisory role and say, "Hey, maybe think about this and that"? Yes, the answer is yes. The so, answer is yes. So you will be able to say this is not a good enough plan. Yes, absolutely. I tell the department every single time they come to the committee that they. <laughs> that they need to be scrapped because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So, yes, we will hold them accountable 100%. Right. And just finally, um, it's to be before the National Council of Provinces, um, I mean, it, it, I'm perhaps asking you a really unfair question here because it's not like you work in government, but uh, <laughs> how long do you think this is going to take for the council to, one, be signed into law and for it to be assembled and for a CEO to be appointed and for its work to begin? I hope you don't have high hopes, Oliver. This, this, this is South African government we are talking about. It takes forever for everything. There's so much red tape. So it took us so long to get to this process. We finally it goes to the NCOP. The NCOP will then deliberate on the matter. Usually they ask for about six weeks to work on the bill plus minus. Um, and then only after that it would be signed. But it, it is being pushed to be done by the end of the political term. So... It, it, the government is pushing it to get it all done by before the elections next year. I think that's very ambitious. Um, I don't have much hope. But because the legislation has been agreed to, it will be implemented. I can't. I wish I could tell you in six months we'll have a National Council of UBBF, but I'll just be lying. Um, I, I can't tell you. Government is very slow on everything that they do, and it's very frustrating. Yeah. Nesli, thank you so much for your time. We're going to have to leave it there. I really do appreciate it. Uh, Nesli joining us in this conversation. She is with the Democratic Alliance, a member of the uh, Portfolio Committee on Women, Youth and People with Disabilities. Taking your reactions to that, give me a call 086 0032 086